0: Hello everyone, welcome to Lively Lead by CHAMP Radio, a weekly literature podcast airing every Sunday. I'm Ha Chang and this is my co-host Kim. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about one of the greatest pleasure, also the greatest pain in life, which is sex. And we're going to compare two different outlooks from two different eras, my poem to his coy mistress by Andrew Marvell, who is a seventeenth-century poet and Kim's gonna discuss extracts from This is Pleasure by Mary Gatesgill. So we're gonna start with my choice of poem for the day To his coy mistress Had we but world enough in time This coyness, lady, were no crime We would sit down and think which way To walk and pass our long love's day Thou by the Indian ganges' side Shoots rubies fine; I by the tie of Humber would complain, I would love you ten years before the flood, and you should if you please, refuse to the conversion of the Jews. My vegetable love should grow vaster than empires and more slow, a hundred years should go to praise thy eyes and on thy forehead gaze, two hundred to adore each breast, but thirty thousand to the rest, an age at least to every part and the last age should show your heart, for lady you deserve the state, nor would I love a lower rate. But at my back I always hear time's winged chariot hurrying near, and yonder all before its lie deserves a vast eternity. Thy beauty shall no more be found, nor in thy marble vault shall sound, my echoing song. Then worms shall try that long-preserved virginity, and your quaint honour turn to dust and into ashes all my lust. The graves are fine and private place, but none, I think, do there embrace. Now therefore, while the youthful hue sits on thy skin like morning dew, and while thy willing soul transpires at every pore with instant fires, now let us sport us while we may and now, like amorous birds of prey, rather at once our time devour than languish in its slow-chapped power. Let us roll all our strength and all our sweetness up into one ball, and tear our pleasures with rough strife through the iron gates of life. Thus, though we cannot make our son stand still, yet we will make him run." What do you think of this 17th century poem? I mean,
1: tells me that even in the 17th century, people adores and tries to find every chance they could to have sex. <laughs> genuinely does. It's amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I when I first read this poem, I actually chuckled because I find this very amusing and, and funny, especially when it's written in the 17th century, which is an era believed to be very conservative, especially towards women. And in this poem, I think the statement is made very clear through three stanzas, right? The first one, the poet says, Well, if I have all the time in the world, I'll spend years and years to adore you and just to look at you and cherish your body. But then the second stanza, he says, But at my back, I always hear times wing chariot hurrying near. So we don't have time. Because of that, because we don't have much time, let's enjoy ourselves today. (laughs) Do you find it convincing? I mean, I could
1: certainly understand the sentiments and I think is no, I just find it really funny because if it were today, if I were the person he's addressing this to, I'd chuckle and, and I'd sleep with him because, <laughs> <laughs> because that is also my view. But at the same time, it's clear that as a man in the 17th century, you have a lot more agency and a lot less at stake than the woman mm-hmm. because... A man is allowed to adore many women to have sex, to enjoy in debaucheries, but his body would not mar any physical sign of it happening. Of course, we all know by now that the virginity or whatever it is, is actually just a construction and there's no way that you could truly determine if someone has ever had sex by looking at whether they still have that membrane of virginity. But for women, especially for our history, it was a way for people and ideologies to control and conform women. This poem is playfully talking about, you know, who knows if you'll die tomorrow, enjoy your your life, etc. But it is written with absolutely no concern for the consequences that the women would have to suffer say if they do not end up getting married should she ever be accepted by another family. The desire for chastity for sexual chastity for women back in the day is not so much as women are worried about keeping their purity for I don't know some sort of personal gratification it's not it is literally about keeping your value as a commodity keeping your value as a person because you will get ostracized by your family by your future husband by society if you fail to uphold this
0: yeah i think your observation is very interesting in the sense that we want to hear the outlook of the woman in this sense right but The poem is addressed to his coy mistress. The word coy here is very important because we all know coy means that you are preserved, but you are slightly preserved. You want to have sex, but you are too shy or you are trying to conceal it in a way that it's believed to be attractive to to the man. So I think the point the poet is making here is that women, in his view, have desires too. And this is his way of saying, well, I know that you want to, but because of these constructions, because of these regulations, you can't do it. The thing is, let's do it because we don't have much time. But I think just as
1: important as the word coy, the word mistress here is also interesting as well. What do you make of it?
0: My initial reaction would be mistress as another way of addressing a lover. But I understand you're saying that mistress can be referred to a lover of a love affair right i wasn't thinking of
1: it so much as a love affair i suppose i was thinking of the signification once again it goes back to the signification of giving your virginity to the person who you will be married to and then here it just indicates the lack of a legitimacy of mm. this current relationship status that once again for me it speaks of a potential threat to her future Mm -hmm. like that is why i suppose one would try to be reserved here but yeah i think it's absolutely right the fact that women back in 17th century and now we all have desires we Mm -hmm. should all be gratified
0: and i think that's one of the reason why "To is coined mistress is one of the most famous love poem by andrew marvel and it's still discussed in our 21st century um, literature scene So, okay, do we have any bridge to our discussion of This Is Pleasure today from To His Coy Mistress? Certainly, it also deals with perspective. Mm -hmm.
1: So, This Is Pleasure by Mary-Kate Skill was published in the aftermath of the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. And this deals with both the perspective of a man and a woman, but not the perpetrator and the victim, but the perpetrator and his friend. So his behaviour here is inappropriate and can rightly be considered sexual harassment but his accusations comes years after and his friend Margot's perspective. Her relationship with him has sort of always been decidedly platonic and she understands his idiosyncrasies if that makes any sense. I think it's almost as an excuse or an explanation for his behaviour. Or in a weird way, she's also trying to reimagine and revalidate both their friendship, him as a person, and the validity of those accusations. And I think she harbors a sort of anger towards those women who accuse him. As we embark upon this, I think it is clear to state that I don't believe that Gateskill is condoning either she explicitly chooses to let us see the perspective of the perpetrators. If we could say, and Margot, I suppose, someone who let it happen, how these kind of behaviors are perpetually perpetuated by people and those around them, and there's refusal to see what they have done might have been hurtful or wrong or in any way could of course damage to people. That is what Geekskill wants us to see. So the extras I've chosen are from the beginning of this novella. We start with Marco. I'd known Quinn for maybe five years when he told me this story, really not even a story, more like an anecdote, about a woman he'd met on the street. Quinn believed that he could perceive a person's most essential nature just by looking at him or her. He also believed that In the same way, he could know what they most wanted to hear, or, rather, what they would most respond to. He was a little conceited about these supposed special abilities, and that was how the story began. He saw a melancholy-looking woman, a former beauty, as he put it, walking by herself in Central Park, and he said to her, Aren't you the gentle one? She replied, And aren't you the perceptive one for seeing it? After a few minutes of talk, he invited her to have tea with him. She agreed. He didn't describe her further, other than to say she was middle-aged and obviously lonely. She'd never been married, working in PR, had no children. Even without a visual description, my sense of her was vivid. Her slender long forearm and long hand The outline of her cheek giving off a subtle glow as she leaned slightly forward into his attention. Her mind quickened by the odd and unexpected man and he would be leaning towards her too. Quinn was someone who imbibed people. They exchanged numbers. I asked him if he told her that he was about to get married and he said no, he hadn't. He didn't plan to call her. It was enough to feel the potential between them stored away like a cell phone video of something that had already happened. She would like being heard but very slightly she'd want affection more you spank her with i don't know a ping pong paddle and then touch her clit this is pleasure he paused and this is pain when i repeated this story to my husband he cracked up we both did for years after a purpose of nothing. One of us would croak, this is pleasure, my husband would make a perverted face and pinch the air, and this is pain, and both of us would crack up, just laugh our asses off. The whole thing was vaguely sadistic, so vaguely that it was ridiculous, clearly no harm was done. It wouldn't be a good outcome for her, Quinn said, she's open-minded but sensitive. I'm engaged to a much younger woman, and there wouldn't be any good place it could go for her. She might've just wanted the experience, I said, if she was lonely. I'm sorry to report that I said that, but I really thought it might be true. They did speak on the phone, finally. She called him. He told her then about his engagement. He said that he'd like her to consider him a kind of guardian angel, psychically watching out for her, which added to the hilarity for my husband and me. Even though it, it also added to the secret sadism, I laugh, but I wondered, did the woman know, even dimly, that she was being toyed with? Did she feel that there was something wrong with the encounter, the way you might feel mysterious hair drawn across your cheek? Why did I think it was so funny? It seems strange to me when I look back on it now. Because I don't want to laugh, I feel pain, real heart pain, subtle, but real. Back in New York, we met at a restaurant that had once been a meeting place for the artistic elite but was now frequently primarily for tourists and business people. We were seated at a deep banquet. Quinn told the waiter that he wanted to sit on the same side as me so we could talk more easily. And then he was there, with his place setting. I'm sure he didn't say this right away, but in my memory he did. Your voice is so much stronger now. You are so much stronger now. You speak straight from the clit. And, as if it were the most natural thing in the world, he reached between my legs. No, I said, and shoved my hand in his face, palm out, like a traffic cop. I knew it would stop him. Even a horse would usually obey a hand held in its face like that, and it outweighs a human by nearly a thousand pounds. Looking mildly astonished, Quinn sat back and said, I like the strength and clarity of your no. Good, I replied. We ordered a meal. We talked about food. Food. Quinn. I told Margot, and I told my brother. I did not tell my wife. Not at first. I still had hope that it would blow over, or at least be handled quietly, and my hope was not unfounded. At first, the suit was not against me, but against the publishing house, and all she wanted was a payment, which the company was prepared to make, as long as she kept quiet about her complaints. Her complaints were petty, absurd which meant, as Margot pointed out, that they were almost impossible to keep quiet about. How would you enforce that? She asked. How would you even know what she was talking about at a cocktail parties? Where else would she talk about it? Rape is one thing, but it's not like she can go to the media to report some weird things you said years ago. Margot was wrong. I felt that even as she spoke though watching her sitting squarely in her sense of reality, speaking confidently as she reached for the salt and lavishly poured it on whatever she was eating, I was assured, I felt her love for me. If people could see the emails between my accusers and me, I believe they would be very surprised. My wife says over and over how stupid I was to send personal emails with any hint of flirtation from a company account. She never sends any personal communication from her work server, no matter how perfectly platonic. But though I seldom engage with her when she's on this tier. I believe that these emails are my best defence, even when they're a tiny bit sexy, because it's so mutuality, pleasure, even gratitude, friendship. Caitlin Robinson was my friend for 11 years, yes, she was full-time an employee, she was even to some degree a protege, but she was ultimately a friend. She came to parties at my home, she met my wife and child. When Caitlin Robinson came to work for us, she was 24, a plain dour young lady with a drab haircut, dirty blonde and a sexless style that I enjoyed teasing her about. I could sense that she was irritated by the teasing, but she was a good sport, which made me like her, which she must have known, because within months she was teasing me back, calling me straight fairy, fob and buttercup saucy. She showed unexpected spunk and when she tossed one of these cute moths over her shoulder, it made her angular eyes seem somehow more round, and she knew I was right. When she finally decided to do something about her hair, she asked me, So what do you think would look good? She said it tauntingly, but I could see that it was a serious question, and so I answered it. She took my suggestion, and her appearance improved by at least 3 points, which is probably why when I offered to accompany her to a shopping trip, she agreed very enthusiastically.
0: So what do you think? <laughs> I get a little bit uncomfortable when you start reading about the section of Quinn and when he talks about his encounters with different women and he thinks that this is not sexual. I mean, I can clearly tell that he has some advance upon them and that could be clearly accused to be sexual harassment. Quinn himself
1: described himself as a sensualist. He just like he likes women he likes to toy with him he seems to think that yeah like sex is the core of every single person and it's something mutual between them as well but the thing is that he is so wrapped in his own perspective he so confidently believes that he understands people that he just refuses to see how this could have made them really really uncomfortable i don't know whether he thinks everyone agrees with him or he just thinks he has so much power that whatever he does people should understand him and he has the right to do it
0: Yeah, I feel like Quinn opposed very closely the discourse of patriarchy. the discourse that men should be understood for their sexual advance, for their sexual needs, for their physical assault on women.
1: We all know that women have desires too, and Quinn firmly believes that women also have desires that's why she she should be toying with him she should be coy she should be responding to his sexual advances but here is not a question about keeping your chastity anymore it's not about ex- your women are not expected to be chased anymore but here is it's just about crossing a personal boundaries that you are not willing to share. Here is Quinn piercing through people's personal boundaries that they probably are not willing to share with him or he plays with their feelings and they're being toyed with as Margot said. It's interesting isn't it because yeah the women in here as Quinn describes just like in the
0: poem they are coy. When you talk about that I immediately see the link between this is pleasure and to his coy mistress but I think The reason I'm less uncomfortable with to his coy mistress but rather find it funny is that it's just a one-sided speech. He hasn't done anything yet. But here, Quinn, he has done stuff. Yeah, and he has physically crossed that personal boundary. Here, Andrew Marvel in this poem is just proposing that I think you have desire. I think if you keep it until you die, this is going to be a waste. I think you should put your desire to
1: good use, right? Also equally to blame here is Margot's perspective. I mean, you could say that she was one of the victims of Quinn, but she excused him and he probably meant a lot to her, so he she wasn't bothered by it and she stopped him before he could make any advances. But the fact that she and her husband was laughing about what Quinn said about a woman for me is equally sinister. It was the mentality of that kind of social circle surrounding Quinn that allowed him to continue to be like this.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of a recent case in Vietnam where a famous singer is accused of sexual harassing a dancer. He say, well, it's just a spank on the ass. It's just a way of greeting for his dancer. But the dancer is like, no, I'm not comfortable with that. And I think the annoying thing is that his friend, who is an also famous actress, protected him because, you know, he's a friend and he can make mistakes and I don't think he means bad. I see the parallel between Queen and Margot in here. Margot cannot sympathize with those women, although she herself found Queen's behavior quite annoying and disturbing. She couldn't sympathize and empathize with them because she is in a different position. She has the power to say no. She has the power to tell Quinn to stop. These women, I don't think they are either brave enough or have enough power to say no. Yeah, they were his employee as well, often. I mean, the
1: woman in the beginning was a stranger. So she has the power to say no to him, just like Margot. But had Margot worked for Quinn, I don't think she would have in the same position of power as she is
0: yeah so i think what we want to say here is that yes women have desires and we should be gratified but also we should be respected and there should be clear personal boundary when we say no it means no all right thank you for discussing and i think our airing time is coming to an end thank you our listener for paying attention and once again let us know what you think we'll see you next week